I think the one thing that I massively regret more than anything is I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have and enjoyed being in those situations. Looking back at it, I was always worried about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, because I was chasing it financially. My whole, I was, it was like trying to stay alive afloat, raising four kids, putting kids through college and, you know, mortgage and all of those things. So I wish I enjoyed it knowing that it was always, it's all going to be okay. Hi, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder for 29 years. I thought I wanted to be him, but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out their careers and this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity, how they deal with stress, and how they get up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing these discussions with you so you can apply these same skills, tools, and methods to your own life. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Hey, today on the podcast, we have Rob Thompson. Rob, pleasure to have you. You're, uh, you've been at Disney. You've been with the National Football League. You've started your own football recruitment business in your early 20s, uh, and you've launched many other initiatives. Uh, I think a LinkedIn recommendation I read says that you are a powerful force of all things good. I know right now, I think you're working with athletic and economic development at the University of New Haven. You were just telling me about your run and how you still lift, but let's get into it. And I'm, I think right off the bat, we were speaking uh, before we hit record on, on lifestyle. How's your lifestyle changed and, and what does it kind of mean to you now? Well, I mean, as you get older, it gets a little bit harder, but, um, you know, so I, I think for me being 55, you know, you start kind of seeing that window closing of everything in, in your life. And, you know, we, we have a house up in a retirement community up in, it's called the villages of Florida. A lot of people know about it as being this kind of crazy swinger place, which is hilarious, but it's got 55 golf courses. And to be honest with you, driving around, everybody there is 70, 80 years old and no one's out of shape. Like there, there are no fat people that are, are people that are heavy um, at that age and that can live that long. So I was like, well, I can't be that. If I want to be there, I can't be the biggest guy there because I won't last. And uh, so <clears throat> more importantly, I wanted to get control of, I, I, I think, this next half of my life. I wanted to control it. I didn't want to let it control me. So more importantly, who you are as a person, the character of who you are, what you do consistently every day, everybody hears a theory of it, but it's true. You know, as a, as a former college and pro athlete, you know, those are the things that kind of got you to that level. And it's the same principles that got me to the level of um, and business, but you know, guy who liked to go out and entertain clients for a living and drink wine and smoke cigars and all that you hit 55 and you realize oh i can't do that all the time anymore so got myself healthy got myself healthy uh physically lost about 120 pounds by running and lifting and and really putting some pressure on myself to stay consistent with my uh my lifestyle and diet and it was really 80 percent of what i was consuming more so than the running and lifting part but that helps that accelerates it so was the consuming, it was food and alcohol, I assume? Yeah, I mean, it was, I entertain clients and, and uh, you know, I'm a, I, I was the guy who, I'm a business 
development guy and a connector and a relationship guy. So my job, whether it was with the NFL or any place I've been at Disney, you know, and certainly uh, with the university as a fundraiser, that's your job. Go play golf, take people out to dinner, build relationships and find that emotional connection back to whatever it is you're connecting them to, whatever your business is. And, and uh, you know, dinners and wine and, you know, it's been around forever. This is what you do and that's how you do it. And, you know, when you get older, it's, it, 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 it stays on you, you know? So, and if you don't have a workout routine and you don't control it, um, you know, depending on your body type, you know, for mine, I was an old offensive lineman and offensive linemen don't age gracefully. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I had to c- control that piece of it a little bit. How do you do it now? I'm in business <laughs> development still. I'm in the fundraising world and at least in Canada in my role, there's not as much of that client going out. Although I, I think that has to do with the pandemic. But before that, yeah, I would definitely take people out when I was working in the comedy business world or the sports world. And it is difficult. You know, I, I talk to my girlfriend about when I'm in a social setting, it doesn't matter if it's beer, wine, or a glass of water or a Diet Coke. I always, for some reason, I feel like I need to have something in my hand because it's natural. And I think that's a hard habit to break. Yeah, I mean, you know, you start relating, you know, having a couple of glasses of whatever your favorite beverage after work. And there's a reason why back in the 50s, dad would come home and have a glass of scotch or whiskey. You know, it it helps you unwind. There's no doubt about it. Or mom with the long day with the kids likes to have, you know, they like to drink their box of wine. (laughs) So, you know, it just helps you mentally sometimes. But if you let it get away from you. You know, and, and uh, you know, then you start kind of going down other roads, which I didn't do, but um, I know a lot of other people I have. Yeah, I switched over to club soda, club soda with a lime. It kind of tasted like a cocktail still does. And I enjoy it. And I like getting up the next morning at five o'clock and not feeling groggy, <laughs> you know, and just keep going. What about your early days, Rob? How did you go from, uh, you know, being a football player to, to starting your own recruitment agency? I, I know, I think I read that you found a, uh, a missing link, especially in the east part of the U.S., yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard transition. Anybody that has done that, uh, you go from college athletics or even pro athletics and you kind of it's done and it's done very sudden. I mean, college, you know, it's coming. But with pros, a lot of times it's, it's happening, whether it's an injury or you get cut or, you know, they don't resign you. So, you know, that's a little bit more sudden. If you don't prepare yourself, especially most pro college athletes, they're not thinking about they're just thinking about the moment. They're not really thinking about what's going to happen after. And I was one of those guys. I finished playing pro. Um, I was over in Europe playing in England and American football and it was over. And I was like, OK, I'll just slide into the next thing and happen to be, you know, coaching. And um, was able to coach at Boston University. And, and uh, I realized after the season, I don't really like this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big grind and making $6,000 a year. It's, it's not that appealing. And I don't want to starve doing this. And, yeah, I like, I like being around it, but I don't like being around it that much. Um, but I realized as when they kicked me out on the road to go recruit, I really liked that part of it. I really enjoyed that connection to the parents and to the kids because you feel like you're really helping them you know when you're coaching it's it's a job it's you're here you signed up for this now you go do it because i said you do it recruiting was different because you're helping them make a life decision that's going to be massive for them 
You know, it's going to help their career. It's going to be a decision that those four years are so pivotal for all of us, um, especially athletes. It's who you're going to meet, the coaches. Are you in the right situation, the right school, the right location? I met my wife at college of 32 years. So these are all the things that are going to massively transform you as a human, as a person and as an adult and as an athlete. And being in that situation to help lead them and answer questions and be there kind of as a guiding point of someone they trust. I love that part of it. So I started a recruiting agency back in 1991, which there wasn't any other than magazines. This was a physical connector between those athletes, their parents and college recruiters and at all levels. And I saw that, especially in the area of the country that I was from in the Northeast that and in high school football, there is a massive disconnect. And most, I always say, you know, college football coaches have one-way tickets and that's South or, or, or West. That's, that's not Northeast. So I was a conduit to help kind of vet, evaluate, and um, give a stamp of approval on, on here's kind of a, a third party telling you what level this student athlete is. And uh, I grew that company uh, from zero to 250 clients and colleges to um, that, that was on the college side to a couple thousand uh, student athletes. And I sold that and I was 23 years old. I sold that within 18 months to a bigger company that did global kind of pro player placement and stuff like that. So that was, that was my start of it. That was my first entrepreneurial uh, adventure. Um, that was me understanding who I am as a, what, what made me tick. Um, one of the things I tell people, the reason why is because I have dyslexia and with dyslexia, you have this kind of this spidey sense of intuition on things and creativity is really the, the superpower of people with dyslexia. You know, we might not be able to absorb information sitting in, a, in the old school classroom with a teacher just talking away. You know, most people with dyslexia do really well with online learning and actual immersion into the world world or experiencing it, doing it ourselves. Um, than sitting there listening to someone talk. So like you're listening to me talk. <laughs> so um, so once I, I realized that about myself, which I didn't find out I had dyslexia until I was in college. So I had this uber sense of who I was and what my strengths are, what I'd be interested in. And that helped me earlier on in my career as an entrepreneur. Uh, that was the start. So selling a company that young, like what are some of the learnings you look back on? Or is there any advice you give entrepreneurs, especially in the sports business from what you learned? Yeah, find mentors. I didn't know anything about selling a business. I got taken advantage of, um, you know, it, it, it was a, you know, here's a little, here's a little taste of it. Here's a little, here's a little check. And I thought at that point in my life, that little check, you know, there was no digital or, or tech. So, you know, as tech, as, as tech went back then, it was a fax machine. So that was about as high tech as you got. And very rarely did someone have a computer around you. So it was finding a mentor that's been there before, someone who you could rely upon. I relied upon myself and my dad. You know, my dad helped me a little bit. But for the most part, it was find mentors, uh, more life mentors and business mentors, you know, people that you look up to. Um, you know, people that you know that you want to aspire to be. So, you know, my dad was a great dad and uh, he was a great mentor for me. He was just a solid, solid blue collar guy and uh, always had practical, never went to college, but just, you know, retire when he was 55. So, you know, he won the game, he figured it out. So um, I, I leaned on him about 
situations, which he was always spot on every time. He could smell it, see it, you know, and life experiences give you that. So life mentors more than business mentors, I think are important. And who you are as a human being, you know, the one thing I'm most proud of is I've been married to the same woman for 32 years. We raised four kids. That in and of itself, I'll hang my hat on that. I don't, you can take the career part of it because that doesn't matter. That is what really matters. And that's who you are as a human being. So those kind of things uh, for me was about character, was about um, integrity, honesty, shake a hand, your word is it. I mean, it, it. I know it's a cliche for a lot of people, but man, it matters. It does. And, and it matters so much. And it's, I like to say that I never used a resume. I never had a resume in my entire 30 something career because it was all about relationships and the fact that I hope that I was as stand up of a person, you know, um, that led me down the path to kind of go from, from, you know, next step of my career to next step based upon my reputation. So. So let's, let's talk about uh, not having a resume and relationships. It sounds like, you know, you work for an incredible organization, a few of them like Disney, the National Football League, NFL flag. I think you were a volunteer and that was your foot in the door. How, how, did, how did you become so involved in grassroots sports with the NFL? That was, I actually volunteered. Yeah, I mean, I went to work for them, but I volu- my first gig with them was volunteering at an event. Um, I think that's the foundation for a lot of people that want to be in the sports industry because it's very, 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 very competitive. And volunteering is a great way to be immersed in the industry and figure out exactly what part of it that you want. I think it goes back to, Jordan, it goes back to um, my sense of helping others. So there's this servant kind of mentality that I have that's built into me. Um, and whether it was helping high school kids. Um, so <clears throat> with the youth program, I was already scouting. I was already helping kids. I had my own summer camps. Um, I worked for a while between, you know, I had wife and kids. So between all the recruiting stuff and business I had, I also you know, was a state, state juvenile officer. So I got my ma- I got mm-hmm. my degree in, in criminal justice and I did my internship down at the juvenile detention facility and I stayed there, you know, so it was a state job. It was a great job. So I worked with, with uh, kids that were, uh, you know, juveniles. So my heart was always into the helping others. It wasn't because it was a, a position of power. I didn't need that. It was a position of how do I help these kids? I came from the same area and I knew their parents and I knew their brothers and sisters and I knew their aunts and uncles and it was very urban area and I knew that sports helped me get my way out and so this intuitive feeling of of helping others working with kids um, led me to the NFL youth development programs by volunteering because I didn't have an agenda only thing I wanted to do was hey this would be a fun weekend maybe I could learn something maybe I could use this network to grow and but I went in, when I went into to that with that heart, with that pure heart and with my agenda being the way it was, um, there's 25 camps that uh, the NFL ran that weekend and up in the Northeast. It was a pilot program for NFL flag. No one really knew what it was yet. This was in 1994. And I just so happened, they just so happened to send me and my team up to Biddeford, Maine. And it just so happened to be the hometown of the new director of the NFL flag youth development programs. And he was there the entire weekend, never knew who he was. We talked, we went out to dinner. He just kind of observed the whole weekend, asked some questions and 
a really young guy. He looked younger than me, and I was just thought he was a guy who worked for the NFL. And I get a call after the weekend uh, on Monday from Don Garber and this this gentleman. And Don Garber is now the you know the commissioner of MLS soccer. And uh, at that time, it was president of NFL Properties, and said, "Hey, we want to talk to you about." Um, working for us and running, uh, helping us run and start up all the NFL flag leagues here in the United States. And about a decade later, it was an unbelievable experience and ride and really helped define who I was in, in, in the marketplace. How big did NFL flag become or like how big is it now? And funny enough, I have a cousin in Niagara right by Buffalo that runs a Niagara flag football league. And he's up to about 1,000 kids now. And it's amazing, especially coming out of the pandemic, it's amazing to see how kids and parents were just looking for something physical. Um, flags, flags, a great, great sport where there's not that contact, especially with some of the concussion issues. How big did it become? And like you think 1995, you know, at that time I would have been 12 and even into my teens, I, I don't remember flag being that big of a thing in Canada but it must've been just growing and gaining momentum in the U S it was, I mean, it got to, I think we got it up to, and I don't know how much they fudged the numbers, but we got it up to about 3 million at one point and it was globally. So we, we ended up putting, it was pretty big in Europe. It was an easy sport and a cheap sport. It's why basketball is probably so popular because all you need is a ball and some uniform. So an NFL flag is the same way. You don't need much space. You don't really need much to get it started. And it's for boys and girls, non-contact, 6 to 14. So it's a co-ed sport, which is even better. Um, and, gir- and girls typically are more athletic than boys are up until the age of about 12. And then physically, you know, girl, boys can't catch the ball over their head, but girls can. You know, it was amazing. You know, so give me a couple. Give me a girls team, <laughs> a twelve-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, we had it. We had it. It was actually in Toronto. We had our world championship in Toronto. I think right around ninety-six, ninety-eight, and a team from Japan made up of eighty percent females came and won the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They beat a team from Florida of all boys. Yeah, you're you're yeah. right though. At that age, I have seen some of the flag teams and the girls teams are just they're so athletic. <laughs> They're more athletic. They're, they're more developed physically than boys are at a younger age. Right. And so that's, I mean, that's just reality. I'm not a doctor, but I got eyes, <laughs> you know, and I, I I've seen, I've just seen them work and outwork boys and they're more serious about, they're better to coach too at a younger age. They're more fun to coach. There's no doubt about it anyway. So do they listen? Uh, do they listen more? Is that the, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They take everything. You, they take everything you say. They're just, they're really, really a joy. So if you've never coached a, a female sport, um, at, especially in youth, I, I highly recommend it. So you end up with Disney, like just, yeah. just a small company, eh? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But yeah. what are, you know, what were some of the big lessons there? And you were speaking about mentorship before, Rob. And I think one of your mentors there was you, you listed a guy, president of ABC News. And I'm sure there were yeah. mentors all over the place at, at Disney. What do, what do you recall? from your time with that organization? I mean, if you're a fan of Disney, it, it always, it starts from the inside out. So if you're a fan of Disney and going to the parks, which, which a lot of people are, how you got treated as an employee, they take more pride in that part of it. I mean, it starts there, how they treat you as your cast, as a cast member and 
just from everything, everything about it, especially if you work, I, I, it's just from HR to, you know, um, all the other programming that they have, the volunteer program that they have, the soul of the company is reflected upon the service that is provided at the park. So if that makes sense, you know, there is a massive obligation when you work for the company and everything you do in your life. And that's your personal life and your professional life. And everybody that works for the company, if you have any type of longevity there, you take that personally. It's like people, whether I meet them in a grocery store, at a birthday party, out to dinner, or in a business setting, when you work for the Walt Disney Company, you are your standards held a lot higher than everybody else. And um, I embrace that. So what I've been able to do is take that understanding the culture that it has. And even if you don't work for the Walt Disney Company, you could still still put that into the culture of your business. And a couple of businesses like Southwest Airlines, and I know you're Canadian, but Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, you know, start thinking about customer service. Why do people, Starbucks, why, why do people go into certain and, and use certain businesses? It's because of the way that they care about you and the way that they do uh, handle customer service, which is seems to be not a high point anymore, you know, especially when it's face to face. So Disney, what I learned from Disney is about the responsibility and the obligation that we had to the company, the brand and the overall perception of who you are as a person and as a business professional, that you better step your game up. And uh, it, it was a great foundation, a great time in my life too, in my thirties and in 40s and it, it was a great foundation for me were you based in florida or where were you based with disney no uh, new york city i did albany i started mm. off in albany then new york city and then uh, burbank right on i think you spent a lot of time i think with disney radio as well didn't you yeah so radio disney is part of the disney media group so it was a division within disney channel radio disney disney xd all the family facing franchises and all the family facing media from on-site activation and events to digital platforms to everything that happened in within the linear feed of TV. So, so it was on air on site and online is kind of what we said. So it was kind of the three prong approach. Right on. And, and then, you know, Rob, then you really early on, I think it was 2015, you, you launched a podcast, which would have been early days for podcasting. You even penned a, penned a book. I've got it right here. I'm, I'm showing Rob yeah. my Kindle here. And I was, yeah, I was I was 60% in here. You talk a lot about, you know, careers not being a straight line, especially when it comes to sports. And that's the name of this podcast. When you look back at your career, it has been in sports and media, but I know now I think you've been doing some things in real estate. How do you speak with uh, younger people or people in their 20s about linear careers or not having a straight line? I think you could do a linear piece of your business, if you start looking at, if you consider investing earlier on in your career, which I wish I did, I wish I got into rental real estate properties earlier on, because that would have been, that would have allowed me to sleep a little bit better at night. Um, as, as your career and your business will roller coaster, it's just part of it, right? But one thing you can control a little bit of is, is kind of that investment, maybe not as much in stocks, but definitely real estate investment. And I would, I preach that to my kids now and anybody else I meet in their 20s is if you could figure that part of, of it out, even if you start small with a little condo that you live in for a little while, a couple of years and, and 
pull your money out of it and refinance it and then rent it out and then go do something, get another one and start stacking some properties. That would be something I wish I did because that would have been a little bit more linear. Um, then I could have done everything else and I could have chased everything else that I wanted to chase in, in sports and entertainment, you know, and, and there's, it's a rough ride, but if you have something there, unless you're lucky enough to inherit a lot of money, you know, which, you know, 99% of us aren't, you know, if you could get a little bit of that, that, that foundation earlier on in your career. So by the time you're in your fifties at my age, you know, you're, you're starting to think about other things that you're, that could be more significant things that are a little bit more like you're chasing your passion and your purpose stuff, you know, the, the, whether it's fundraising or volunteering or whatever it may be, or, or coaching or, you know, being a mentor that you have the resources, the more the make, the more you make, the more you can give, you know, and that, and that's that 90% of that is your time. And that matters sometimes more than stroking a check, especially if you're helping a startup business or you're helping mentor somebody on their career. You know, your time is extremely valuable to that. So um, I think you, you you switch from, man, I'm, I'm chasing money early in my career to now you're chasing, I'm chasing time, you know, and everything I do, including this podcast is thought out. Like, mm-hmm. do I want to yeah. spend the time knowing if I could share some information today, this was worth my time, you know, so. That's that's how your mindset is. It's just human nature, and um, things start to slow down a little bit for you. But invest in real estate earlier, rental properties earlier on in your career. So, with that, do you, do you kind of not that you have any regrets, but but people that go into the sports business, you say it in your book. You know, it is a grind. It takes sometimes five years to even find your way in. A lot of times, I tell people instead of. Maybe looking at that agency you see in lights or that team you see in lights, maybe go work for Pepsi or Nike on the marketing side. Is is there something you would have done differently early in your career? You definitely say real estate, but in, and you mentor a lot of these sports, I think it's sports entrepreneurs or maybe entrepreneurs in general. What what knowledge do you kind of pass on? Um, well, there's a lot in that question. It's a tough um, one. Sorry, Rob. Yeah, no, that's all right. So regrets. Um yeah, there are sometimes I wish I wish I had I wish I had the opportunity to work with Disney and the NFL earlier in my career, in my 20s, um, where I just got married and I started off as a married, married man with young children and I didn't have any leverage. Right. So I was grasping. So I worked out of a position of defense. So I couldn't even though I was a risk taker and still am to some degree. Um, I wish I had a little bit more stability earlier on. And, you know, so um, that's what I wish. So if I could give anybody words of a, before you become an entrepreneur in your 20s, and I know everybody's watching kind of all those celebrity, you know, social media influencers out there. And I like them too. There's certain ones I like as well. They all had a base. Most of them had a base, right? A financial base. And and it's something like they probably won't share with you, but everybody likes to say, I was broke. I had seven bucks left to my name. Okay. Yeah. So that does happen. But I would say if you can work for somebody or a bigger organization to learn a system and a process and the politics, like learn that, learn that part of it. And even if you're in the military, even better, you know, because you get some structure when you, when you cut the ties and you go out to become an entrepreneur earlier on, I didn't know structure as much, 
I didn't know structure and process. I just went my, and I made a lot of mistakes earlier on, underpricing things, you know, just follow up. A lot of things that maybe didn't come natural to me earlier on because I never really had a job before when I was done playing. That was my first job was kind of coaching and then owning my own business. So I would say that even if it's for a couple of years or even a year, get that structure, understand process, hierarchy, how an organization works. That's, I think that's really critical. And then you're going to discover what you don't want to do before you discover something you love to do. So figure those parts out first, get some structure, get a little bit of finance behind you, get a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a runway, then go do something on your own. And I, I wish I kind of flipped it a little bit. So um, that, that would be, that would be the first part of that, that question. I think the one thing that I massively regret more than anything is I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I should have and enjoyed being in those situations. Looking back at it, I was always worried about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, because I was chasing it financially. My whole, I was, it was like trying to stay alive afloat, raising four kids, putting kids through college and, you know, mortgage and all of those things. So I wish I enjoyed it knowing that it was always, it's all going to be okay. You know, it's going to yeah. work out. You know, if, if you don't, if you, if you don't turn out to be a total bum, you know, but if you, if you do the right things and you're good to people and you're nice and you have, and you know what your talent is and you bring your value every day and you're positive, you know, I, I think those are the things. I think there's times when I got negative, um, which I wish I'd never, because no one likes to be around someone that's negative. You know, I think I got negative at, at parts of some of the places I, I was at of, you know, why does this happen and why does that happen? And you would think this, no one cares. Everybody's just worried about themselves. Like no one's out to get you, you know, no one's out to get you fired. No one's out to, you know, <laughs> hurt you. No one's looking for you. You know, they're just worried. We're all worried about ourselves, let alone anybody else that we work with. You know, so I wish I, I, I wish that I, I spent a little bit more time enjoying those moments, enjoying those people and not worried about why things are a certain way and just embrace the way they, they are and go with it. So anyways, um, I hope that answers your question. And it's kind of long. Oh, winded. Yeah, it did. Thank you so much for that. Rob, so what are you up to up to these days? You've got the real estate syndicate, I think. Like, what are a few things you're still dabbling or working in? My core is I'm at my alma mater, University of New Haven. I'm doing fine, uh, fundraising for athletics and um, economic development stuff. So it's kind of reaching out externally into the into an area that I grew up in. So whether it's new revenue streams, new business opportunities, new partnerships, um, and then the core within that is uh, really working with our student athletes on their career discovery. So about six years ago, I started a nonprofit called Game Plan U, which is really that conduit, that bridge into the immersion, into, say, startup world. So it's working with student athletes, it's working with student founders and putting in them in position and, and, and putting them into our community of, of founders, of executives in the industry, of angel investors, and then with uh, startups that are already ongoing to, to intern and to get their first job and really jump into it. So uh, Game Playing You is kind of a, is a vertical within kind of my uh, what I do every day and, and something that I enjoy doing to help a lot of uh, other people outside of within our own university, but also people without, outside of that. Um, and and you just really tapping into the, the, my network of 30 something years. So. You know, a lot of a lot of us are starting to retire and 
people have time on their hands and they want to help and they get to that point of second half and they want to make it significant. And the guys that I, you know, played college ball with are now in a position where, you know, they have some capacity financially to start giving back. So we've been able to raise a bunch of money and build some buildings and a performance center and, you know, hopefully go division one NCAA at some point. So it's busy and, but I enjoy it because I get to do it on my, my time and my schedule. So. Uh, that's good. And is it true that you made a commitment to your coach or something that you would come back and pay back uh, a scholarship or something, or is that just tongue in cheek? It was uh, Bill Lee. It was our athletic director. It was our athletic director. Yeah. And uh, thank God the, uh, the tuition was only 10,000, uh, you know, all in 10,000 way back in the eighties. And I said, you know, when I, when I, when I'm done, I'm coming back, I'm going to pay back my scholarship. And, uh, you know, and I, and I ran into, I see him every once in a while at different events and, and I ran into him. I see, you know, it was after I think five years here. I was like, I think I, I think I repaid that debt now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I repaid that debt. So, uh, it was a pretty cool moment. It was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. So Rob, where <laughs> you're pretty active on LinkedIn, I think, where can people follow you if they want to keep up with your journey and what's going on? So Rob Thompson life. L-I-F-E is Instagram um, and Twitter is, is my handle there. And then um, just follow me, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn is probably my LinkedIn profile. Um, you'll pop up University of New Haven, Rob Thompson, and you'll be able to connect with me there. Uh, my website is gameplanu.org. And uh, that's, uh, that's where you'll find what we're doing kind of in that entrepreneurial student startup space. Well, that's great. Well, Rob, I know your time is is valuable, especially with four kids in your work world. But uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. If you're ever in Toronto, hit me up and let's grab a uh, a club soda. Club soda with lime, Jordan. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. There you have it. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow along on your favorite podcasting app. And if you have 30 seconds, leave me a rating share the episode with someone it could impact and i look forward to being back with you soon on the next episode of it's not a straight line